This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to have a rather eclectic selection of items on today's program, I think. But one matter of note will be a chat about one of our favorite people, the late Richard P. Feynman. We, of course, are great admirers of Dr. Feynman for his work in quantum electrodynamics. No, actually, we think he's just a very curious character. There's a new graphic novel out titled Feynman, the graphic novel. And later in today's program, we will speak with author Jim Ottaviani about that effort. We uh, like the book quite a lot, so that should be fun. Otherwise, we have quite a backlog of materials to go through, as often happens on this show, and we'll just do what we can to point out and talk about items of note. But we'll just begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 8th of September. It was on September 8th in the year 1504 that the Italian sculptor Michelangelo's David was unveiled in a Florence town square. I have seen this particular work, and I would have to verify that it's pretty good. You can quote me. On this date in 1760 in the French and Indian Wars, which was the American theater of what was called the Seven Years' War, some considered to be one of the first world wars, Montreal surrendered to British forces. In doing so, France lost all claims on Canada. Something they're apparently still miffed about up in Quebec. On September 8th in 1900, the Galveston hurricane struck home in Texas, packing 130-mile-an-hour winds and destroying most of the city. In the process, it killed 8,000 people, making it still the worst natural disaster in American history. And apparently back then they didn't name them, so it's just called the Galveston Hurricane. And on this date in 1974, U.S. President Gerald Ford pardoned his disgraced predecessor, Richard M. Nixon, for any crimes he may have committed while in office. Ford always defended his action, but it may have cost him the close 1976 election to Jimmy Carter. Our quote of the day comes from C.S. Lewis, who said, Education without values, as useful as it is, seems rather to make a man a more clever devil. Attention law schools. Our quip of the day, and this is unusual in that we often use him in our comic section of the day, but our quip of the day today comes from Dave Barry, who said, A sense of humor is a measurement of the extent to which we realize that we are trapped in a world almost totally devoid of reason. Our jokes of the day come from David Letterman, who said earlier this week, Labor Day is when we celebrate our workforce. Do we still have a workforce? And uh, to which Dave added, Dick Cheney says in his book that he would do it all over again. He feels so strongly that he said he would still invade the wrong country. And our quip slash joke of the day, which I just am going to throw in, comes from the immortal Sid Caesar, who said, The trouble with telling a good story is that it invariably reminds the other fellow of a dull one. Our stat of the day is that American TV viewing has reached an all-time high. With the average person, the average person glued to the box for 158 hours, 47 minutes every month, which works out to 5 hours and 13 minutes per day. That comes from the Nielsen Company. They ought to know. 
I'm sure you'll agree, Mr. McMillan, that is one of the more terrifying stats we presented on this show. Okay, I was just throwing in a bonus stat, which is that although it's largely unknown in the West, China's snow beer has been the world's most popular brew for the past three years. Sold 16.5 billion pints last year, twice the sales volume of Bud Light, which held the top spot up until 2008. If you've ever tried snow beer, let us know how it is by dropping a line to info at radioparallax.com. And in what we'd have to describe as an irresistible bit of a follow-up story, we have this. The Emperor Penguin that swam 4,000 miles from Antarctica to New Zealand is apparently going to get a lift home. The bird, nicknamed Happy Feet, was found on a beach last June, as we reported on this program, exhausted and sickened from eating sand, which it apparently mistook for the snow which it would usually consume for fresh water. Uh, No relation to snow beer, by the way. Apparently, after a restorative stint at the Wellington Zoo, Happy Feet has recovered and will soon travel back to Antarctica aboard a New Zealand research vessel that was headed that way anyway. Said Wellington Zoo spokesman and CEO, Karen Fifield, this is an excellent result for everyone involved and for the penguin. I would have said, especially for the penguin. This, of course, reminds us of that immortal cartoon by Gary Larson, where the couple is sitting at the breakfast table as a duck walks in their back door. woman says to the man, Now be firm with him, Bob. We are absolutely not going to drive him south for the winter this year. And by the way, Gary Larson, if you're listening, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. We need to get you back writing just a few of them, okay? And if we're going to acknowledge uh, greatness, and we like to do that on this program, we do want to note that it would be hard to produce this show on a weekly basis without the help of The Week magazine. We often rely upon it for not only its uh, good week, bad week section, which we generally convert into our good, bad, and the ugly, but also their section titled Only in America, such as this item from the Only in America file, Dateline, Long Beach, California. Police arrested a man for taking a photograph of, quote, no aesthetic value. Apparently, Sander Wolf, who takes photos for the local newspaper, was detained by police after snapping shots of an oil refinery. The police in their defense said photography is considered suspicious activity if officers determine that it isn't, quote, regular tourist behavior, unquote. And no, you prospective Long Beach visitors, we have no idea how you can get the pamphlet which tells you what is considered to be regular tourist behavior. But to having just recently been down there, I would say that in the future it may turn out that regular tourist behavior may be to visit Sunset Beach or Redondo Beach instead of Long Beach. And speaking of beaches, also from the Only America file, we have this. A 61-year-old beach lifeguard is suing New York State. He claims he was fired for refusing to wear a skin-tight Speedo swimsuit. Yes, apparently Roy Lester worked at Jones Beach for 40 years before being told he must take his annual swim test in a Speedo. Said Lester, I wore a Speedo when I was in my 20s, but come on. 
There should be a law prohibiting anyone over the age of 50 from wearing a Speedo. Now, this correspondent is going to have to take issue with that. If you want to do some open water swimming, you do not want to be wearing a baggy set of trunks. Speaking of the aforementioned good, bad, and the ugly, let's do that. And by the way, dear listener, have you checked out our interview with the ugly from the good, the bad, and the ugly, the immortal Eli Wallach? It's on our website, radioparallax.com. That was a fun one. Of course, we've never been able to confirm his allegation that Clint Eastwood is gay. No, actually, I just I just made that up. But still an interview that's worth listening to, we think, even without bombshell revelations. Anyway, it was a good week last week for America's disgrace of a legal system in the wake of an Illinois appeals court dismissing a lawsuit by two grown children who sued their mom for bad mothering. The kids had claimed that mom failed to buy them enough toys, and no, I'm not making this up, haggled over the amount spent on party dresses, and worst of all, apparently, sent a birthday card that her son didn't like. Now, why this had to go to the appeals court and why they appealed it? Well, because you're allowed to appeal it. And, of course, the beauty of our system is that even though you file a suit like this and it's tossed out, you don't have to pay the other person's legal fees. Every other nation requires you to do so, but not here in America. It's open season on everybody. I guarantee you some lawyer made a lot of dough off this case. But lest I digress, it was a bad week last week. For America's disgrace of a legal system, after police released a 400-pound convicted robber from prison because the police lineup had not contained any other morbidly obese people. While Eric Kenley had been convicted after being identified by victims, the appeals court said the lack of grossly overweight men in the lineup violated Kenley's civil rights while admitting that there was some difficulty in finding five other 400-pound men. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for America's disgrace of a legal system. And you know, that really does have a certain ring to it, doesn't it? But here's the story. Apparently, three recent law school graduates from New York Law School are suing their alma mater in a $200 million class action suit alleging they were deliberately misled about their future career prospects. The plaintiffs said they were told the employment rate for NYLS alumni nine months after graduation was between 90 and 95 percent. They said they had no idea the figure included people who were employed in jobs that don't require a law degree or even a college degree. (laughs) Here's the part I like best about the story. Two of the plaintiffs are practicing attorneys while one graduated last year and still hasn't been able to find permanent work. So what the hell? Sue your law school. Actually, in all seriousness, this sort of activity should be encouraged. Might be a good time to add that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. None of whom, as far as we know, are graduates of New York Law School. Of course, it isn't just law school. Article in the Sacramento Bee Dateline, September 5th, irate grads are suing their culinary schools. 
Article notes that food enthusiasts have been enrolling in culinary schools in growing numbers, lured by dreams of working as gourmet chefs are opening their own restaurants. Article by Terrence Che notes that for many graduates, however, those dreams have turned into financial nightmares as they struggle to pay off hefty student loans and find work in a cutthroat industry known for its long hours and low pay. Mr. McMillan does point out, however, that the food is usually pretty good. And by the way, if you're considering a career in bank robbery, you may want to give that one a second thought. There's a mystery man up in Toronto who's been robbing banks for months. Reportedly, he sometimes wears sunglasses, but other times just a baseball cap. And recently, he wore a white do-rag that makes him look like, quote, an Arab sheik, unquote. Although his image is crystal clear on numerous surveillance cameras, nobody can identify him. But here's where the career advice part comes in. He's apparently knocked off 15 banks since May 15th, yet he's only netted 10,000 Canadian dollars. He might as well have gotten a real job. But at least he's competent at his job, apparently. According to The Week magazine, there's a robber who walked into a bank, cut ahead of line, and was scolded by angry customers for his cutting. When a teller told him to take off his hoodie and wait his turn, he reportedly left the bank. I have to admit, I'm suspicious of that story because it doesn't have a date or a place. And I agree, Mr. Vermillion, I don't know how they knew he was going to rob the bank. But uh, let's do some listener mail. Ed Martin dropped us a line after his appearance on last week's show saying, I was surprised how good it sounded and how sensible we might appear to the casual listener. Well, I'm not, Ed. I think we're damned sensible. Matthew wrote to say, just wanted to say I enjoy your show. I look forward to it doing my Thursday evening commute from Folsom to Sacramento. Thanks for putting it on. Matt, you're welcome. Keep listening. And uh, Debbie sent us a, a YouTube clip, actually, after we apparently mispronounced the name Jake Gyllenhaal. Of course, the YouTube clip proves that everyone mispronounces the name Gyllenhaal. It is spelled G-Y-L-L-E-N-H-A-A-L. And according to the actor himself on the YouTube clip, it's supposed to be pronounced Yilanhulahay. I don't know. Is that a Welsh spelling? I think it's a spelling off of Bizarro World. And speaking of graphic art, as we'll be doing later in this same program... Apparently, DC Comics is apparently going to go back and, I guess, renumber their various magazine lines. They're going to start out with issue number one of Justice League. Never mind the hundreds of chapters that came before it. Sometime last week, uh, DC decided it was going to reset all 52 of its continuing series, including the venerable titles of Action Comics and Detective Comics that first introduced Superman and Batman, respectively, back in the 30s. I must confess, I did enjoy DC Comics back in the early 60s, and I still have most of my collection. Uh, had I been interested in Marvel Comics and collected those, I would have a very valuable collection. But alas, I didn't care much for Spider-Man, Thor, the Fantastic Four, etc. And of course, you can learn a few things from comics. I remember back as a boy learning a few things from reading comics, such as what constitutes news. I remember when Jimmy Olsen and Clark Kent were getting a lesson on this from editor Perry White of the, da of the Daily Planet. And he explained to them that, of course, uh, it's not news if dog bites man. But man bites dog? Well, that was news. Taking this apparently all too literally was a man named David Sink, who made the news last week here in Sacramento by 
biting his pet python. According to an article in the Sacramento Bee by Bill Lindelof, Schenck was taken into custody for allegedly taking big bites out of his pet python, which was reported recovering after surgery. Schenck got booked in the Sacramento County Jail on suspicion of unlawfully maiming or mutilating a reptile. And no, again, we have no guidelines to offer on what constitutes legal maiming or mutilation of a reptile. Mr. McMillan suspects that, uh, you know, accidentally pulling the tail off your pet lizard probably wouldn't qualify. We hope not. But clearly taking chunks out of your python will. According to this story, police responded to a call about a man who had been assaulted and was not responsive. When they arrived, they found Sink. While officers were speaking with him, a citizen got their attention and told them that Sank had just taken two large bites out of a small live python. Animal control was called to the scene, and Sank went to jail. According to the Sacramento Bee, the snake was not in good condition when handed over to animal control officers. However, she was reported on the mend the next day. According to Gina Nepp, acting animal care services manager for the city of Sacramento, the snake was doing well. Quote, we did surgery on her last night, and I think we saved her life, unquote. Apparently in the process, the python lost a couple of ribs. Let's make this clear. We at Radio Parallax do not in any way condone maiming or mutilating animals. And that includes Sasha Baron Cohn. However much at times, he appears to have earned it. And on that note, let's check in with America's foremost political comic, Mr. Will Durst. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few words of caution. If you plan on going anywhere near a Republican candidate these days, you might want to carry an umbrella, because pledges are raining down around them like frogs after a giant explosion in a swamp. They're making pledges on everything, from gay marriage to abortion to Shreya law. Wouldn't be surprised to hear that the American Association of Apple Growers demands nominees make a public promise to avoid cherry and meringue pies while running for president. Blueberry is so anti-American. Rick Perry signed a pledge opposing gay marriage, which counteracts a previous pledge he made to leave the question up to the states. So now, according to Rick Perry, homophobia trumps states' rights. Of course, Rick Perry also pledged not to run for president, so he seems to have a rather fluid attitude as far as these pledges go. But does that stop conservative groups from demanding that candidates sign these intractable oaths? No. So far this year, they're waving around the Susan B. Anthony Pledge, promising to appoint anti-abortion cabinet officers, the Cut, Cap, and Balance Pledge, which cuts, caps, and balances the budget while giving rich people more money, the Marriage Vow, which is different but similar to the Anti-Gay Marriage Pledge, in which candidates agree to oppose same-sex marriage and reject Sharia law and pledge personal fidelity to their spouse. Didn't they do that when they got married? How about the Paris Hilton pledge to wear underwear at all times? The marriage vow is the one that said that black children born into slavery were more likely to be raised by a two-parent family than a child today, which some people pointed out kind of endorsed slavery. A little bit. Michelle Bachman said she didn't mean to sign it and hadn't read it. Get that? Signed it, but didn't read it. You know what we need? We need candidates to sign a pledge, not to sign any pledges they haven't read. 
Most of them seem to be illiterate, so that could cut down on the pledging considerably. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Dempsey. Thank you, Will. Let's take a, a short break and come back and talk about some miscellaneous and some serious stuff, I think, in segment number two. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Oh, go away. 